You're listening to the Inside Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Olson, digital producer for nature. This episode is all about sloths, perhaps the strangest group of creatures evolution has ever produced. While other species get ahead by being the fastest, the biggest, or the strongest, sloths do everything as slowly as possible, using the least amount of energy and remaining largely unnoticed. But don't be deceived by their low-key lifestyle. Sloths have been around for millions of years, much longer than we have. So they're definitely doing something right. To guide us through the weird and woolly world of sloths, I got in touch with biologist Rebecca Cliff. Rebecca's research focuses on sloth conservation, and she has taken an innovative approach to studying the ins and outs of their daily life. First of all, Rebecca, I'd like to welcome you to the Inside Nature podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So you're working on your PhD in conservation biology at Swansea University in the UK, um, and your main subject of study is sloths. Um, Aside from the fact that they are very adorable, is there another reason that you chose to study sloths? They are very adorable, you're right. That's always a selling point. Um, But I I actually find them fascinating because they're so unusual um, and they're so unlike any other mammal, yet we know so little about them. Um, And as sort of a budding biologist, I find that really fascinating that there's an animal out there which is doing everything sort of in a different way to, to what we expect for a typical mammal. And yet we really have no idea how they're managing to do that and how they're managing to live this life, which is so sort of on the edge of what we what we think is possible. So, Um, so so, yeah, that was that was my big selling point. (laughs) (laughs) So why haven't they been studied? Well, I think a lot of it. And as I've learned over the years, is because they're really difficult to see. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So you you think they'd actually be quite an easy study subject because they, they don't move that much. Um, there's not that much to sort of like, you're not chasing a cheetah around the plains of Africa, you know. Um, you can pretty much predict where they're going to be. But then as I started to follow wild sloths around, I discovered that as soon as they go up into the trees, you can't do any observations on them whatsoever. Um, you, you, if you're lucky, you'll get a glimpse of them every now and again. But if you want to know sort of when they're eating and how much they're eating and what they're eating um, and sort of how much time they're spending in different behaviors... You can't see that with your eyes. Um, and up until recently, there just hasn't been the technology available in order to do that electronically either. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really sort of just now in, in recent years that we've been able to sort of really start to understand what it is that they're doing. Yeah, that's a great segue. So in, in 2013, you raised uh, $95,000 online to study the, the movements of sloths. And I think this part is really interesting. It's by outfitting them with little backpacks that contain <laughs> uh, GPS trackers and maybe other information. Could you tell us what you hope to achieve with that study? And do you have any results uh, to share with us? Um, so that study is still ongoing. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it was called the Sloth Backpack Project because... Um, I wanted to attach not only sort of tracking devices, but data loggers to wild sloths. And when you're putting a data logger on an animal, it's hard to use it in sort of a collar format because the collar can twist around and you never know which direction the animal's facing. Um, So that's why where the whole backpack idea came from, because it sort of held everything nicely against the animal's back. 
And so whenever it moved or whenever it did anything, then we could have the data logger record it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the data loggers are recording sort of, they're getting GPS points so we know exactly where the sloth is. But they're also recording every time the animal moves, every time it chews, um, every time it climbs down the tree or up the tree. Um, and we have pressure sensors so we know how high the animal is in the tree. Wow. Um, and there's also things like um, temperature, temperature sensors um, and light sensors so we know whether... Um, he's basking in the sunlight or, or curled up in the shade. And so you can really sort of p- pull together exactly what the wild sloths are doing and where they're doing it. Um, and that is sort of key to understanding their ecology. Um, mm-hmm. And for me personally, what I wanted to get out of all of this research is to help the conservation of the species. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're, when you're trying to conserve an animal that you know is suffering in the wild, um, just because of the sheer numbers of sloths that are being brought into rescue centers. You don't know what the cause is of that suffering, um, and you don't know how to help it if you don't know what the species needs in order to survive, basically. Um, so I'm hoping to sort of pick out their basic habitat requirements and say, sloths, if we want to see them in the future, this is what we have to protect, and we have to make sure this is available for them. Um, and yeah, we're, still, we're sort of starting to get there with it now. We have a, a pretty um, extensive list of trees that they rely heavily on. Mm. Um, and we also know that their behaviors are pretty much tied very heavily to the sort of the climate and the environmental conditions. Um, so we're now we're starting to look at things like climate change and how increasing temperatures are starting to affect their energetics. Mm. Um, because with sloths, they, have, they don't have much energy to play with. And as they get hotter, they burn more energy, a little bit like a reptile. Um, so they are very much sort of in this balance with on hot days, they, they can't really do very much. And on cold days, they can't really do very much either. Mm-hmm. Um, this sort of has to be the perfect environment for them. Um, so I think there's a lot of things we can go into and, and explore with it. Um, but mm-hmm. we've got a lot of data to play with still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know, sloths sort of have this reputation as being cute, um, but also very lazy and not very intelligent. Um, yes. is that, re- <laughs> is that representation accurate? I'm, I'm guessing you're probably going to say no. Um, <laughs> but does, does your, uh, data from this tracker study sort of back that up? Um, it does actually. Um, cause what people have thought for sort of centuries, actually, because sloths, when they were first discovered, they were they were described in the literature as the lowest form of existence. <laughs> so they didn't really get off on a very good foot. Um, and they were sort of thought to just sleep all day. And I've heard things like they sleep for 23 hours a day or um, they, they, they can spend an entire week and not move. Um, and because people have never been in the field to observe them, um, nobody knows whether that's true or false. So they've just got stuck with this lazy stigma. Um, and everyone believes it because it's, it's sort of a nice, nice story, you know? Right. Um, but what we're actually finding is, and this is the data from the Backpack Project, which is showing this, is that the sloths, they don't sleep that much at all. They only sleep for about 13 hours a day. And mm. I know some humans who sleep more than that. <laughs> um, so I really don't think they deserve the lazy title. Um, the thing is, the rest of the time, they are moving, but they're just doing everything really, really slowly, um, which people also think is, a, is, is lazy because they can't be bothered to move faster. Um, but actually, it's an amazing way to survive. 
um, when you don't have the energy or the or the sort of physical capability to run away from a predator, then you have to rely on them not seeing you in the first place. Um, so what they're doing is they're basically stealthily creeping through the trees, mm. um, and the predators just don't notice them. Um, if predators don't notice them, that means that us humans haven't noticed them either. So we think that they just sit around and do nothing all day, but actually they're moving. They're just going completely under the radar. And so moving slowly is is also a way for them to save energy, correct? Yeah. So if you're you're moving slowly, you don't need much energy, basically. Mm-hmm. So you can survive by having a really slow metabolic rate, and then you don't need to eat very much on a daily basis. Um, so you don't have to run around looking for food like monkeys do, for example. So you can afford to spend more time just sort of taking it slow, moving slowly through the branches because there's no rush. Um, so, yeah, they, don't, they, they get very, very little energy from their food. Um, and they survive on basically what we thought was probably impossible to survive on for any animal. A sloth is somehow managing to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, it, it seems like sort of a very strange lifestyle and, and a strange adaptation from an evolutionary standpoint. I mean, are there other animals that exhibit this kind of behavior? Um, or are sloths unique in, in the way that they sort of eke out a living? Um, I think sloths, they're not completely unique. There are other animals that have sort of taken the, the hiding route, you know, like the camouflage route. Mm-hmm. Um, but sloths have taken it so far to the extreme that they're, they're doing, they've taken things to a whole new level, basically. <laughs> um, I don't think anything is, is really quite comparable to the sloth. Um, there's, there's animals like the koala, for example, mm. who act in a similar way. And the howler monkey in, in Central America they're very similar to the sloth in that they have the same diet and they're about the same size, but they've done it like they've gone in the opposite direction. So the howler monkeys, um, they have energy to run away from predators, but in order to maintain that energy, they have to eat a ton of leaves every single day. So they spend all day eating, 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 um, and they actually sleep for 18 hours a day. Um, and nobody thinks that they're lazy because they see them, you know, rushing through the canopy. Um, and the sloths are, on the other hand, eating the same food, but just not eating very much of it and just staying very quiet um, and, and very peaceful at the same time. So they must not have to eat very much. Is that That's right? That's right. They don't. They, they eat very little. Um, it's actually about 17 grams um, of dry weight of leaves a day, which is basically nothing. It's like a clump of leaves a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and a leaf has very little energy in it. As you'll know, if you've ever eaten a salad, um, <laughs> you get hungry again straight away. But the sloth's key is that they spend 30 days digesting just one leaf. So they take every nutrient possible out of that leaf. Um, and then, yeah, they, they because they've got this constantly full stomach of digesting leaves, they don't physically have room to eat very much either. Hmm. So it's not like they could, they could just eat loads of leaves and get loads of energy if they wanted to. They, they physically can't. So, so they're, they're being very efficient, just doing it very, very slowly. Exactly. I think there's a lot we can learn from them. (laughs) Um, Great. Um, So a more uh, recent study, uh, which you also crowdfunded, uh, is designed to look at sloth genetics. So apparently the sloth sanctuary in Costa Rica, who you work with, uh, has seen quite a few sloths with birth defects. Could you talk a little bit about that and what might be causing that and what your study hopes to show? Absolutely. Um, so 
I first noticed this when I when I very first went to Costa Rica and started working at the sloth sanctuary, um, and they had some baby orphan sloths that had deformities. Um, some of them were very mild, like missing fingers um, or sort of partial albinism, so patches of just bright white fur. Um, and others were more severe, so I've seen them with um, completely missing limbs or missing ears and deformed jaws. Mm. Um, and I know just as a, as a biologist that when you're seeing that many deformed baby sloths just in one rescue center at one time, that's not a good sign because it means that there's a lot more sloths out there being born with deformities that are never being found or are going to different rescue centers. Um, and for, as a, for a population like with sloths, they breed very slowly. They only have one baby every three years. And if so many are being born deformed, then it's, I mean, it, it's a pretty big sign that there's something wrong in the population. Mm. So I wanted to find out what it was. And just, from my experience of, of being in the jungle in Costa Rica, I've seen the effect that sort of habitat fragmentation is having. Um, and that can be on a small scale, like a road being built through the jungle, um, or it can be on a large scale with towns, cities, and fruit plantations and things. Because as soon as you break up that continuous um, forest canopy, the sloths have a big problem because they don't like to come down to the ground. Mm-hmm. So you end up with these little pockets of sloths that we think are inbreeding. Um, and it's sort of created this this um, very low level of genetic diversity. And one of the symptoms of that is is babies being born with birth defects, basically. Um, and it's not quite as straightforward as that because these are also all occurring in an area um, which has a lot of agriculture going on. And we think it's also a symptom of pesticides being sprayed in the area. Mm. So it's probably um, a link between the two where the pesticides are creating um, the genetic mutations and the inbreeding is sort of amplifying them um, and making them uh, sort of become a big issue a lot quicker. Um, but we're working on that with the genetics and I'm actually in working in the genetics lab today. We're almost there with the, with the samples. Um, uh-huh. and we're starting to piece together the picture, but we don't have the results right now. Um, we, we're hoping within the next month we're going to have those results through. Um, because we took hair from sloths all over sort of Costa Rica from many different populations, and we're just comparing the diversity in the different regions to try and identify the, the ones that are most at risk, the most vulnerable areas, um, and then we can start to develop conservation strategies to basically help and, and mitigate that situation. So, um, um, so like how many individuals are we talking about that, that have come into this sloth sanctuary with these, with these deformities? At the sloth sanctuary alone, I've seen probably 15 over the years. Um, and I've been working with other rescue centers as well that I know have had similar numbers just in the same region. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a pretty, uh, I mean, it's a pretty big issue. And I know in the towns in Costa Rica as well, I've seen wild sloths, adult wild sloths with deformities. Um, usually only the minor ones, um, like missing fingers, because they're able to survive with just a missing finger. Um, but it is a symptom of something else going on. And I know that I was, I was contacted by the Panamanian government a couple of years ago as well, um, because they have a park right in the middle of Panama City. Um, and in that park, they have a wild sloth population, but they're completely isolated. And in that park, they're finding a lot of baby sloths being abandoned because they're deformed and they have albinism and things. So... That just ties in with the whole theory of it being to do with habitat loss and inbreeding as well, um, if it's happening in Panama City. Um, 
Right. It's a bit of a problem. Um, yeah, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, sorry to be so uh, trite about that. But, no, uh, <laughs> it's true. no, it's true. No, it's true. It is terrible. <laughs> um, so, uh, did you say the DNA came from hair? Yeah, we've got it. I mean, it's quite hard to get DNA from hair samples. Um, but if you can, we've found a method of plucking it. Um, if you only need a couple of hairs with tweezers, but if you can get the, the root of the hair, then there's enough genetic material in that to do the analysis. So do you actually have to, I mean, how do you catch these sloths to to get get their hair? It sounds like they're oh. hard enough to find, but then do you have to like climb up in the trees to, to grab yeah, them? Yeah, you just... You just found the hardest bit of sloth research is actually getting hold of the sloth. Because um, you have to find them for a start, and then you have to catch them. And I did a tree climbing course, actually, to try and um, help this. But I discovered by the time I got into the tree with all my ropes and my harnesses and things, the sloth had been like, what are you doing? And had just moved to the tree next door. Um, so <laughs> I was outsmarted by the sloth all the time. Um, the best technique is to opportunistically do it, I found. So when sloths are found on the ground... Um, have people call and let me know and I'd come over, take a sample and then would release them again. Mm. Or when they arrive into rescue centers, um, we know where they've come from and we can take the sample while they're at the center um, and then release them again then mm -hmm. as well. So it took, a, it took a few years to get all the samples, but we have over 300 now. So well, at least, pretty, at, least, pretty good number. at least you have speed on your side, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Not when I'm in the tree. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> um... Great. So, um, so uh, I first heard about your work because you have a book coming out, I believe, in September, uh, which is all about sloths. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and the origin of the book? Ah, yes. It's um, it's a book that I'm writing with a photographer called Susie Esterhaus, and we are writing it all about sloths. Um, because there's a lot of misinformation out there, um, as you know about sloths. Everybody thinks they're lazy and stupid and dirty and probably smelly. Um, but they do have very cute babies, so there's a lot of sort of love for them as well. Um, and I've written a book just to try and dispel some of the myths um, and just as sort of a way to spread a little bit of real information about the natural history of the species. Um, and also a lot of the proceeds from the book are going to go to a sloth conservation charity that we've set up um, to sort of help with a lot of the issues um, such as the, the genetic deformities um, and things like the electrocutions on the power lines, which are, I know are a huge threat to sloth populations. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be donating the money to that. Um, and, yeah, it's a, I, hope, <laughs> I hope people enjoy it, but it will be out in September. Um, and it's got some pretty amazing photographs of all six sloth species. So, it's um it's a beautiful book. Yeah, I was gonna say from from what I saw, the the photographs are just stunning. Um, and I believe on the front cover there's actually a sloth swimming. Is that right? Or <laughs> there is. We have a um a photograph of a, a pygmy sloth actually, which is one of the most critically endangered mammals in the world now. Um, and we've got it swimming, but we've got the view from like sort of half underwater, half above water, and it's an amazing photograph. So I'm so excited that's on the cover. Um, but sloths are surprisingly amazing swimmers. They move three times faster in the water than they do on the ground. Oh. They, ha they have an incentive, I guess, because... <laughs> <laughs> they can float. They just float along. <laughs> um, just to end, I'll, um, I'll ask you this. What is the most interesting thing about sloths that most people don't know? That's such a hard question. There's so many interesting things about sloths. 
Uh, it's like when people ask me for my favorite sloth facts. Um, I actually find really interesting is that um, sloths, well, you might look at them and you think that they're dirty and smelly and stupid and probably not very strong, but it's all of the opposite. Um, they're actually phenomenally strong, even though they're really skinny under all of that hair. Um, their muscles are, are really specially designed, which gives them like fantastic strength, so much so that they can fall asleep just hanging from one arm at a right angle. Um, and if a human ever tried to do that, we, I mean, we just couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, and they, they don't produce any body odor whatsoever. Um, that's a strategy for survival. Um, so they're really clean. They don't have any parasites. Um, so it's all just a big misconception. And I think that, that tends to surprise people the most when they meet a sloth and they discover these things about them. Um, people are always really shocked by that. That was Rebecca Cliff, sloth scientist and conservationist. You can learn more about her work on her website at beckycliff.com. And if you just can't get enough sloth, check out all of our sloth content on the Nature website at pbs.org nature. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the Inside Nature podcast on SoundCloud. You can find our channel at soundcloud.com slash nature pbs thanks for joining us and until next time i'm eric olson